Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a senior research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts. See the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Michael Blue from Tesca Associates. Michael is a principal with Tesca Associates of Evanston, Illinois. Prior to joining Tesca, he was the Director of Community Development in Highland Park, Illinois for 11 years, where he focused on long-range planning, review and approval of proposed development projects, permit approval, and support of City Council and Commission activities. As we emerge from the Great Recession, communities with predictable development review and approval processes have a powerful competitive advantage in attracting private investment and economic development. The goal is to strike a balance between the assurance that communities must have from an approval and the predictability a developer seeks in navigating that process. Michael is here tonight to outline how communities can evaluate their approval systems with an eye towards securing desirable outcomes. Please join me in welcoming Michael Blue. Thank you all very much. Um, thank you for coming out. Um, I, I think part of the reason that we're, we're all here is that this development review process, like it or not, for better or worse, is, is a little bit of a game. And I think the game sort of frustrates us all a little bit. We spend a lot of time and way too much time dealing with it. The game of density, you know, it's, well, you can have 15, so we'll ask for 20. Uh, the game where the developer says, well, you know, in the next town over, they don't make us do this, and you talk to them so you know they do. Um, so there's there's a bit of a sport here, and it, I, th I think it wears on everybody. I think it wears on the municipalities. I think it wears on the, the developers, and I think that's why we're we're here tonight to talk about it and why why it interests people generally. So with that, let's let's launch in. We'll we'll talk a, about a, a few different things, and we'll have plenty of time at the end for a, a conversation on this. Um, the uh, first thing we'll do is we'll set a little bit of context. Why is this really economic development, and why should towns be thinking of it that way? Uh, and then I've got a, a bit of a checklist for you, some things to do in terms of what to do with the, with the development review process at home uh, and ways to start thinking about this. Um, and then, like I said, we'll have time for questions and comments and so on. And uh, if that's all right, we'll jump in. So why does, why does this matter? Well, it matters because the world is different now than it was. I mean, it's always mattered, but um, everything has changed. The economy has changed. Nobody needs to really explain that much. Um, the development business has changed. Uh, you know, there's a reason that you see only certain types of developers and developments. They have capital. Uh, having money to spend to do the development is now the biggest issue, and we're coming out of that a little bit now. Uh, but ca access to capital is very different than it was and very hard for the development world to deal with. Um, economic development has changed. Uh, there's not ready access for communities uh, to the types of funding opportunities that we've used before. TIF gets more challenging every time a state opens up the legislation. Uh, and the idea of even sharing revenues is a bigger challenge for communities. So it's, it's not as easy to do economic development. Public finance has changed. So many resources have to go to so many different places, not the least of which are our, um, our pensions. And, and all the budget discussions in Springfield here in Illinois tip us off to that. Um, and then government operations have changed. There is just a lot of discussion and a lot of the communities that, that we all work for in terms of how we should govern. And there's a lot about bottom lines and return on investment and, and the business of running a community. Not that communities need to be run like a business. That's a whole other session. Um, but that there's a business side to it and that we all need to be respectful and responsible to that. And that's, that's something else that makes this economic development. What is economic development, right? You've got to kind of have, have a bottom line. I used to love when I would interview young planners who were coming right out of school, um, they all had economic development on their resume. And getting them to explain it was always sort of funny because it was different to everybody. Economic development is, was, has always been whatever you did. Um, and, and it's all of these things that you see up here on the slide. Uh, and economic development has always been, bottom line, uh, the activities that tr attract and support businesses. Um, you know, I worked once in Ohio, and um, Ohio is not driven by property tax, or is, is driven by property tax, not sales tax. So the way we all 
go bonkers over a car dealership or a grocery store, uh, they didn't care. Uh, they take a, uh, a percentage of local income tax. So they couldn't care about a mall or a grocery store or a car dealer, but their land use policy driven by an office building full of doctors and lawyers. Right? So that's, that's economic development. That's why it's different everywhere, and that's why uh, we, all, we all do it differently in, in our towns. Uh, what is development review? Well, there's a set of processes that are laid out in all of our codes. Right? There's all these steps. There's all these processes. There's all these meetings. There's all this fun to do. Um, I talked to a bunch of people about tonight, and I can't tell you how many said, up oh, plan commission night, up oh, design review meeting night. Um, so this is just the heart and soul of what we do. And, and again, there's, there's a lot of public process to it, whole other session. Um, but, but this is the way that the code sees it. This is the way the code sets it up for us, is all of these stops at the process. How do we look at it? You know, I always looked at it like a Rubik's Cube because there's so many moving parts to this process. There's so many different ways that, that, it, that it gets done and so many different steps that it goes through, so many things that it does. When it's done well, that's how we're implementing our master plan. That's how we're making sure that the public has input into the community they live in. I mean, these are all, these are all fundamental to who we are. But once you get one of them kind of right, you know, once you get the whole side, on one side of the cube green, you turn it and the rest of it is still, and I could never get a Rubik's Cube done, so let's just start with that. Um, but once you get one side all set and there's that sense of satisfaction, the rest of it is still a hodgepodge. You know, so once, once you get the developer to be set with something that you're looking to do, heaven help you, you go and you talk to the city engineer. It's all over, right? Um, or you get to the part of the ordinance and you look at your corporation council and your corporation council says, we can't do it that way, right? So it's that, it's that constant juggling of the cube to try and get it right. And that's, that's the way we as, as planners end up being in the middle of it. And the development side of it. Um, you know, I talked at the beginning about sort of the game that this is, but to really understand this, we all need to be open to this other side of the table. Um, how, do, how do developers see this? Well, you know, you sit across the table from them. Um, it's risk, it's time, it's money. Uh, they're looking for some stability as they go through the process, and we'll talk about this a, a little bit more. Uh, but it's interesting. You know, there are some that you deal with on the side of the table to whom this whole notion of development review is just philosophically they're opposed to it. You know, why do we even do this? I'm looking to do something good for the community. Why are you putting me through this? Anybody heard these comments before? Okay. Have you ever heard, you know what, for, forget it, we'll just leave the eyesore that's there? Have you ever, right, so that, that kind of gets to the game of this. But it's incumbent on us to understand where that comes from and understand that, that part of the process so that we can serve our communities best. Um, you have to appreciate it. You have to appreciate the time is money aspect of all of this. Um, you know, an attorney once said to me, and said to me very well, it, at its best, this is not cops and robbers. This is not us and them. This is us doing something for the community. And to the extent you've been part of a process that worked well like that, you know that. And you know that it's actually kind of pleasant to go through it like that. That's kind of what I want us to be able to talk about getting to tonight, it is, a, is a process that, that works well. Um, one of my favorites here is, is the one that's listed on the very bottom. I was at a, um, at a lunch once that had a bunch of speakers who were commercial brokers and commercial developers, and so I brought a little visual aid. You can see I had the vegetarian lunch when I was there. And they're talking about, this was a couple years ago, and they started talking about the, um, the new normal. You know, it was one of these just at the depths, just coming out of the depths of the recession kind of presentations. And they started using a bunch of phrases that, that I wrote down because they were very instructive. This was how the development world was thinking about, the commercial development world was thinking about getting back into things at the time. So the words I wrote down were backfill, which we always talk about as infill, opportunistic, not a bad word, the new normal, I liked that one, they actually said density, fast casual was their business of choice, right? So, you know, Qdoba comes from somewhere. Um, and then they said barriers to entry. They kept talking about barriers to entry. And what really made it difficult for them to operate anymore were barriers to entry. They kept saying barriers to entry. And I went, they're talking about me. They're talking about my zoning code. They're talking about the process that I have in my town. Why am I a barrier to entry? Um, 
And no, I don't see us that way, and I don't, I don't um, prescribe to stand up here and say that planning planners or the zoning codes or our communities are barriers to entry, but it's, it's just so important to understand that, that that's the perspective. And then if we're seeing that way, we start to chase away development, and, and that's got economic development implications for, for all of us. So at its best, the development review process. Um, it's implementing our plans. That's what it should be doing. That's why we did the plan. That's why we wrote the code to, to correspond to the plan. That's why we taught our commissions how to use it. That's what it's for. It's about implementing the plans. Um, it should be providing an economic benefit to us. Um, it should establish predictability. And, and that's one of the words, kind of a theme you'll, you'll hear from me, is that I think the process at its base needs to be predictable. Not easy, not hard, not long, not short, not any of those things that people on either side of the table would want it to be. Think about it in terms of predictability uh, as we go through and, and have the discussion. Um, and it, adds, it should add value to the community, right? That's an APA thing, creating communities of lasting value. That's what the process should be doing for us. Um, at its worst, sure, it's long, it's costly, um, it's painful, it's building a camel, you know, the, the story of the camel is a horse that got built by committee, right? So beware of the camel. That'll be another theme that we'll kind of touch on a little bit tonight um, as we go through. So, so bottom line, just to kind of get us started, setting the context, if you will, um, how exactly is this notion of development review truly, truly economic development? Uh, and there's a few points here. Yes, it's sales tax. It should be about sales tax. We have that responsibility to the communities that we represent, that we work for, uh, to help the bottom line so that the quality of life can be maintained. It's that open for business kind of perspective that we're all expected to have. Um, I would tell you my take on that, which is at one point this was sort of talk, uh, talked about as the customer is always right. And I went, well, hold on a second. I respectfully disagree with the notion that the customer is always right. I'm good with the customer comes first, right, including in this whole approach of, of uh, development review, but not always right. But yeah, you know what? The customer does, does, come, does come first. Um, we need to um, know that we're implementing our plans and, and uh, expanding quality of life. A level playing field is also really important. Because the people that are out there doing this want to know that if they got to do it, somebody else has to do it. Or that they're not being put through more than somebody else was. That it's a fair level playing field. And that's, that's why your codes are written uh, the way they are. And that's, that's, why they're, um, uh, that, that's why you're always refining them. Um, this notion of predictable, I just, I just want to raise again. And I'll, I'll get into it in, in a minute, too. But that's, that's sort of the middle ground that I'm suggesting to you that... We're not here, this is not about giving away the store. This is not about making development easy. This is not about making it harder or holding people's feet to the fire. This is about making it predictable. Every developer I ever had the pleasure of sitting across the table from um, understood that a planned development process could take nine months or could take a year. Um, we laid out the meetings. We explained it. They wanted to just know how it was going to work, and that's, that's something that we'll spend more time talking about. Um, so that's, that's the deal with predictable. And in terms, one last shot on how, how this is economic development. Um, I was at another workshop the other day, and um, the folks from Homewood, I have visual aids, the folks from Homewood uh, were, uh, were talking about some of the things that they do. Um, nice presentation, was very impressive, and they handed out this neat little brochure. Um, and one of the quotes in it, where they're trying to encourage business to come to their town, um, the quote says, we opened Chipotle Mexican Grill in the village of Homewood. The development review and permitting process was efficient, and staff was extremely helpful in helping to meet our projected timelines. Sales are great. We look forward to a successful relationship with the village for years to come. So this, this notion of the process as part of economic development is something that's out there. It's something that is sold to the development, the commercial development world, the residential building world, um, as a way to help us do all of these things. Um, so that's context. That's this, that is an introduction and, and my way of saying to you, one, here's why this is now important. Um, here's why this truly is economic development. Uh, and let's spend a few minutes more talking about uh, maybe tweaking or twisting the process a little bit, maybe some things you can think about or talk to folks about when you, um, when you get back to the office tomorrow. Fair enough? One, the steps have to add value. Um, 
Again, this adding value thing, another theme for me. My staff used to go nuts. Okay, we get it. Add value. Got it. Understood. Um, but, it's, but it's important here. Um, you have to be able to explain why you have all the steps in your process. Right? How many times have you, have you heard somebody say, well, why do I have to do this? Why do we have to go through design review? Why do I have to have the curb be 12 inches from here? Why do I have to do this? If the answer is ever or has ever been, or from any members of your staff, has ever been either we've always done it that way or because the code says so, um, I would suggest to you those are very bad answers. Um, those may be true, and those may be the reasons that ultimately the, the developer or the builder has got to do it that way, but, but you've got to be able to explain it. Just because is, is no longer acceptable anymore. You are telling people that we are not thoughtful. You are telling people that we are not making an effort to meet anybody halfway or to make something good happen. It's just got to be. Um, it's, it's part of what is maybe the worst rap that, that we get on the... Uh, on the municipal side of things. So just because, or just because we say so, um, is, is not the reason. Uh, go home and have these discussions. Open your codes, zoning, subdivision, building, open your codes and, and ask those questions. When I was in Mount Prospect, we used to do uh, roof inspections. And everybody hated doing roof inspections. The roofers hated that they had to wait with the roof open for the inspector to come out and look inside of it. The inspectors hated going up on the roofs and looking at it. Um, the risk management people hated that we had inspectors going up on the roof. Uh, and so we had a discussion about it. We said, why do we do this? Everybody hates it. What, what's the value added to this? Um, bottom line was we had people that were not being well served uh, by the roofing contractors. And they would call the village and they would go, Help. Uh, and it was only by having a, a permit issued or a dog in the fight, if you will, that the village could be of help to these people. He said, well, yeah, this, this adds value. We can help the residents of the community by doing this. Um, had the same discussion over hot water heaters um, because somebody's always coming and going, what do we have to inspect hot water heaters for? Every schnook can install a hot water heater. The guy from Home Depot comes in and puts it in. It's no big deal. And then, you know what happens, right, is the inspectors come out with the video of the things blowing up and going through the roofs of the houses. It's rather dramatic if you've never seen it. I'm sure it's all over YouTube. Um, and again, there was a decision, you know what, we, we should be doing this. This, this does add value. Um, design review. Design review is always a tough one. Um, taking design review to the next level, doing residential design review. Um, these are things to go back and look at. And does this add value? Um, I've been to the design review meetings where there's a 45-minute discussion on what shade of red the awning should be. Not if it should be red, but what shade should it be, right? So you can see how design review makes people crazy. Um, Highland Park, we, we worked with our design review commission. We said, do we really need to see this? What's the value added of seeing this? Um, and so we trimmed a process, which was great. But the best part was the next time somebody asked me, and by the way, you don't just get asked these questions uh, by the developers and builders that come in to your office, you're probably going to ask these questions by your elected officials, by your plan commissioners, by your chamber of commerce. So you need to be able to answer these questions. And again, I say to you, this is economic development, right? This is your town saying to the business community, you know, we've given this a lot of thought, and we think it's important because. Um, and design review was a great example. We trimmed the process, yes, but all the things that were left when a developer or a city councilman would come to me and go, why do we have to do this? I could explain it. We left awnings in. We left review of awnings in. I didn't really want to, but we did. Uh, there was a great discussion at the Design Review Commission about the fact that an awning is an integral, integrally significant part of the design of the building, and it's worth looking at because it has effects elsewhere. And we thought, all right, that's fine. And once I could explain that to people, they went, oh, all right, I get it. I may not like it, but I get it answer just can't be because we've always done it that way or it's, or it's in the code. Um, and I paused for a long time on this point because it, it's one of the more important things I, I, I want to encourage you to do is to take a look at those sections of your ordinance uh, that you get all those questions about uh, and decide, do, do you really need that? And if you do, great. This is not about, again, it's not about shortening a process. It's not about taking things out just to take them out. It's about making sure that what's in there adds all that value that we've talked about. Maintain consistency between commissions. Um, I'm sure we've all been involved in a review where the Design Review Commission said X, and then the Planning Commission said Y. Um, that's just never fun, because then you have to go through and sort that out. Uh, that may happen. That might be inevitable. Uh, there's, there's ways to deal with that. You can have the committees meet together. 
I mean, no towns where the Design Review Commission is the Plan Commission with a different hat on. So there's, there's all sorts of ways to do it. The one that I would encourage you to look into your codes uh, and, and give some thought to is the order of the process. All right, so plan commission comes first, then design review. Well, you know what? They kind of changed things that the plan commission decided. Let's have design review look at it first. Look, right, so make sure that the order in which things go through uh, helps what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and, if, and if part of that is it all ends up at the village board or the city council and they're the appeal to all that other stuff, that works too. But, but think in terms of the order in which things get approved. Uh, think in terms of the opportunities to, to consolidate meetings, too. Uh, again, this will lighten your load a, a bit, too, and that's, that's an important part of what we're, we're talking about. Third is understanding uh, certainty versus flexibility. Um, this, this is something that I, I came to understand as we got into writing development agreements and ordinances with approved projects. Uh, which is where you get down to, you know, you don't get the building permit until you do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to hold the letter of credit for this long, right? So as you do the development agreement or approve an ordinance if you don't do a development agreement for every development, um, understand that, that there's two things going on here. As a municipality, you want certainty. You deserve certainty. We approve this pretty picture. How many of you have had to fight to make sure the pretty picture actually got built? I once negotiated brick colors with a guy because he wasn't going to build the picture that, that he promised us he'd build. But that's what a municipality wants. That's what a municipality needs. And, and that's what's reasonable to expect. The developer, on the other hand, is looking for some flexibility. Well, you know, I don't know if I can get caribou. Maybe it'll be style. I can't tell you for sure who it's going to be. And I'm not sure if I order that brick if I'm going to be able to get it. Um, and steel is back-ordered. I mean, you've, you've, heard, you've heard all these things. These are all legitimate things. These are, these are all reasonable issues that come up through the course of development. But that's the kind of flexibility that the development world is looking for. The municipality, the elected officials, the plan commissioners. We used to, um, Highland Park used to have design review commissioners drive past things and call and go, is that the way we approved it? That's not a fun phone call to get. Um, so that's what you're looking for, is that, is that middle ground. Um, and, and I would suggest to you that there's a really good way to do it, uh, and it's, it's cash. <laughs> um, it's, about, it's about sureties and letters of credit and holding on to, to, uh, to a bond that ensures that something gets done. But again, understand both sides of that equation, certainty versus flexibility. That's, that's where all of this meets the road. Fewer meetings and better meetings. Um, Fewer meetings does not mean just have them go till 1 in the morning uh, instead of 10 o'clock at night. Um, but the idea is, is to have more productive meetings. Part of having more productive meetings is making sure that all the information is together, is making sure that the, the applicant that comes before you who goes, you know what, we'll, we don't have it done yet. The architect's still drawing, drawing it. We'll have it for the next meeting. Or my own personal favorite, we'll get it to you the morning of the meeting. Um, yeah. The afternoon of the meeting, right, thank you. Much, yeah, also, also true, right? Um, so part of having a better meeting is on, is on the private sector, too, is making sure that we actually, we actually have the materials we need. Um, there are a lot of issues that come up in terms of multiple code readings. Do we have to read? Do you have to have the second reading of the ordinance? Can we just go to a first reading? No, you don't always have to. A lot of it is practice. A lot of it is history. A lot of it is we've always done it that way. Um, something to ask, a cor ask your corporation counsel about, not something that, that you have to do. Um, and an extra meeting, a preliminary meeting, not always a bad idea. Um, there was a process that Highland Park has done for years that I'm a big fan of, which is a preliminary approval meeting, a pre-application meeting. So before the application even gets done, and I'm sure a lot of you have these meetings, but before the formal application even gets submitted, there's a meeting with the plan commission. And the meeting with the plan commission is to show you know, like the 50% drawings. We're not all the way there. We haven't done the traffic study. We haven't finished the engineering of the architecture. But here's kind of what we have in mind. What do you think, plan commission? Um, two, two values to that. One is the plan commissioners were encouraged to go, you know, when you come back, these are the questions we have about traffic impact. These are the questions we have about engineering, uh, which is great because it keeps you from getting to the public hearing with the generic traffic study and then sending them back to redo it. Right? So you get those questions on the table early on before they ever even do the traffic study. You've gotten better information for your plan commission, kind of helped out the developer a little bit, doesn't have to do the traffic study twice. So, so that sort of thing is real useful. 
The other reason that, that the meeting is useful is if the plan commission all sits up there in the dais and makes the yucky face for the development, you know what? It's worthwhile for the developer to know that. Um, as I said, we used to do this in Highland Park, and um, we had a few developers who would sit through the meeting and go, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to do this. They would sort of see that it was not a welcome project. It was not appropriate for the site. And sometimes all of our telling them that doesn't always sink in. It's important for them to hear. So um, a better meeting does not always mean fewer meetings. Fewer meetings, good, but better meetings, frankly, even more important. Um, communicate expectations uh, and no surprises. And this goes both ways, right? This is not just you talking to the development community, but this is talking to your village manager, talking to your elected officials, talking to your plan commissioners. Keep people informed. Let them know what's going on. They don't all need all the gory details of what's happening. Uh, but people who are informed are more comfortable in a process. Uh, and, and so it's worth letting them know whether or not it's email updates or whatever is appropriate for, for the community that you're working in. Uh, but, but keep people apprised of what's going on. In terms of the developers and, and letting them know what's going on, one of the silly little moments of which I'm proud professionally was had a developer come in and talk about this um, condo development that he wanted to do, and we talked about the odds of it getting approved and what the process might be and how long it might take and, uh, and so on and so forth. And um, he called me from his, from his cell phone on his way back to the office, and he said, you know, Michael, i got to tell you, I, I don't have a good feeling after talking to you about this project. And I said... Well, then I've sort of done my job. I wasn't negative. I didn't tell him he was doomed. I don't think he was doomed. Um, but I told him what the issues had been before, when the plan commission had talked to us before. I had one of these conversations that, that you all have with, with people every day. Um, but the idea is to not sugarcoat it, not to try. Don't worry about making them feel that it's, that it's going to be, especially if it's a good development. You, know, you get all those developers sitting in your office, and, it, and it's a really worthwhile development. And it probably doesn't have a snowball's chance, but you'd really like to see it try. Um, I once said to a guy, you know what, I gotta tell you, what you're proposing, it was in terms of density was the biggest issue, what you're proposing is far more by a percent than the city has ever approved before, and you should know that. But I would also tell you that the city is, is ready to start having this conversation. We've had this conversation about density, and you were right at the cutting, nay, bleeding edge of this issue. And if you'd like to do that, you know, do it through the preliminary process, we're glad to help you do it. Um, and he appreciated that opportunity. He understood where he was coming from, he understood where he was going, understood what his odds were, um, and he can filter that or figure that into the equation of his decision to move forward. Again, we didn't tell him that the project was doomed. We didn't tell him that it was a great idea, yeah, try it. You know, we just, we just laid it out there as, as clearly as, as we could. You project a very professional and very worthwhile image for your community when you do that. When you, when you just kind of lay it out uh, and when you show that appreciation for the other side of the table, uh, that's economic development too. You know, when you send the message that you can, you can be worth dealing with. Um, the, the game is different for the little guys. Uh, for the small mom and pop shops, um, they've never done this and they've never been through this. Um, you've probably had these meetings. There's a significant amount of time and a significant amount of hand-holding uh, that goes on when you deal with the small local businesses. This is, this is not what they do. And they also don't have time to do this. Right? The hard, some of the hardest people to get involved in, in our communities are the entrepreneurs, are the small business people. Why? Because they're there at 8 o'clock opening up and they're there till 8 o'clock cleaning up. Right? So they do things a very different way. Um, I've never been a proponent of having a different process for the little guy, um, for, the, for the homegrown business, um, but for being ready to, to hold their hand more. And that's tough if, if uh, staffing is an issue. Um, but again, all of our downtowns, all of our business districts, all of our communities are going, you know, we got all these damn chains. How about the little guy? We want the homegrown business. Well, there's, there's a value to that, and there's an attraction for that. There's a desire to that. Um, so I would suggest to you that, that cutting out a way to, to help these guys in terms of holding, doing some hand-holding uh, truly, is, truly is economic development. Communicating early and often, it's kind of the, 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 the twin of, of no surprises. Um, and again, this applies 
up to the manager's office and to elected officials and appointed officials um, and, and to the developer to let them know what's going on. Um, very important uh, to keep your administrative and elected officials involved in what's going on. Um, and create a point of contact for the, for the developer. Find, find a way to be accessible. Um, you know, it, it, it's not too far off topic, but you know, I've, I've been part of a lot of discussions about, well, you know, we need to get the developer to pay for all the time that the staff spends with them, or we need to find a way to, to recover some of these costs. And this discussion is not about that, and I, I, I'm all for it. But the concerns that it raised for me were, well, I don't want the developer thinking, well, I could call the village and ask them the best way to do this, but then they're going to charge me for it, and, and then they don't call. You end up fighting that later. Um, so that clear line of communication, that, that early and often communication, if it's possible with staffing levels or the way you're structured, to have a point of contact, uh, that's an important thing to do. Uh, the person doesn't necessarily have to have an answer, but to be able to be the person that gets called, um, that's an important thing to, to start with. Dealing with limited staff resources. Um, you may be from a community that has a limited planning and development staff. You may be the planning and development staff for your community. Um, you may have had a bigger staff than you did a few years, or you may have a smaller staff than you did a few years ago. Um, so this issue of, I know, let's, let's all say it together, doing more with less. Um, this idea of doing more with less is something that, that we all face. It's something that we all have to deal with. Um, the problem with it is it, it doesn't change any of the things that I'm putting on the table here that, that we'll talk about tonight. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, well, you know what, we'd love to communicate early and often, or we'd love to have a point of contact, but we just can't. Um, that's the big challenge in this, too. And I, I, um, I don't have anything up my sleeve uh, to make that easier, but, but would just encourage us all to, to work towards finding a way to do that. Um, administrative approval versus a process. Just the way I suggest that you, you go to your ordinance and you look at the various kind of aspects of it and see that they add value and say, do we need to do this? Why do we do this? If the answer is yes, keep it in. Um, is to look maybe at the conditional use list in your zoning ordinance and see if everything in there has got to be a conditional use. Uh, is it possible? Not necessarily that, that things would be, excuse me, a, um, a permitted use, um, but, but again, consider... Uh, consider how to use them. Uh, maybe there could be some standards. You know, the best home occupations, right? Not everybody's ordinance has got home occupations as a, as a special use or a conditional use, but there's a whole lot of rules that regulate how you can have uh, that home occupation. And that's, that's what, I'm, what I'm talking about here. Um, again, my favorite phrase, as you already learned, is, is to look at the value added of, of each of these, right? Um, bed and breakfast. Is a bed and breakfast a home occupation that doesn't require... Uh, a conditional use, or is it so impactful that it does require a conditional use? Well, let's understand the other part of this, too. The answer to these questions are not the same for every community. These are local questions with local answers. And you know what? When you ask them, involve the decision makers, involve the plan commission, involve the, involve the city council, the village board, involve the development world to really understand where they're coming from. Uh, but, but again, my, my point is to, is to ask these questions. Um, and, and to think Two, in terms of, of what is it that, that adds that value? Um, a couple of commissions that we had in Highland Park that people always used to roll their eyes. I mean, you could just hear the sound of people rolling their eyes uh, when we talked about the Historic Preservation Commission uh, or the, um, the Natural Resources Commission, uh, that those had important, that those had roles in the review process. Because what you hear is, it's, it's just another, I've got to go to another meeting, it's another possible place where my development can be killed. Um, and we talked about this. And what I came to explain to people and suggest to people is, look, you know what? People love living in Highland Park. It's a terrific community. Look around you. What is it that adds value to the community, right? It's the natural environment that people live, and it's the historic character of the, of the, of the homes and the properties that are here. These literally affect people's property values. Yeah, they add value. That's why it's part of our development review process. That's why we're putting you through it, Mr. Developer. That's why we as a staff are, are working hard on it. Uh, those are the kinds of questions that, that we need to be able to, to ask and answer. Um, communicate internally. Do this actively. Do this regularly. Um, I, I know, again, on the list of challenges um, is the, the natural fun that happens uh, between the planning division, uh, the planning department, uh, and then you start to get involved with the, with the village engineer. 
uh, or the fire marshal comes to a meeting and says, you can't do that, uh, and the whole thing changes. I think there's a natural resistance in people to not want to have to deal with that and say, well, let's get further down the process and see what happens. Um, doesn't work. It's not true. If you've been through it, you know. Uh, you don't want to get to the end of a process and find out uh, that the cul-de-sac isn't big enough, right? So um, meet regularly with everybody that's involved in development. Uh, and it includes people you wouldn't ordinarily think about. We, actually, we used to have to make the, fire, the, the police department come. Uh, because there were always these great ideas about you know, traffic and, and impacts and those sorts of things. So work with the entire team, meet regularly, figure out how to keep everybody involved. Don't lose sight of, of the classic, which is all the plans that we work on. Incorporate your plans. When you do a development review, when you write a staff report, make sure there's a reference in there to the master plan. Uh, when, you, uh, when you sit and talk with a developer, make sure you reference the plan to them. And if you don't know what the plan says, or the plan's old, or a site is new, or, or whatnot, work with your plan commissioner, maybe even your, your village board, and come up with a little policy statement that says, here's what we'd like to see here. Especially if there's a hot property in town that you know the development community is interested in, you know the residents are concerned about, carve out some time. Have the plan commission, the city council, Here's a nutty idea. Have them do it together. Uh, and have them do some, some visioning, some thinking about what it might be. Not the absolute answer, not the be-all and end-all, not to maybe eliminate certain uses, but to have a, 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 some insight that you can share in terms of where the, the community is with that. I've always found that a little effort makes, makes a big difference. This is kind of the customer service side of this, right, is that going through this process and involving the development world says to the development world, we're not the guys that just say, because we've always done it this way or because the code says so. We're willing to be open to trying some of these things. The answer may be no when we're done, but we're, we're willing to do this. Uh, again, in Highland Park, we had a meeting with, um, uh, with a, a, an economic development breakfast with a lot of business community, and they said, could you do these preliminary meetings that you do? We love them. You do one with the plan commission, one with the design review. Could you make them the same meeting? Could you get these people to show up on the same night? And... I admit it, I sort of rolled my eyes. You could hear me rolling my eyes. And I go, one meeting, one preliminary meeting, that's really going to help. And you know what? Turns out I was wrong. Who knew? Um, we started doing this, where the two commissions would come together. They'd do this preliminary meeting together. They loved doing it together. The developers thought it was great. They saved a meeting. It was such a tiny thing, and it meant a lot to a lot of people. So don't, don't, uh, don't overlook those, those as possibilities. Um, do commissioner training. Um, have there be some rules and procedures in place uh, for your commissions to work on? It's kind of 13 and 14 go, go well together. Um, for those of you that, um, that, that, have, uh, that have planned commissions, my own little commercial, um, the Illinois chapter of APA uh, does plan commissioner training. I'm the planning official development officer. Uh, and we have, over the last two years, done about 25 of these workshops where we come to communities, um, either on a plan commission night or an off night, where we're the only thing on the agenda, uh, and we do a couple hours of training with them. Ranges from everything. It starts with a picture of Daniel Burnham, because that's the law, um, and we get into you know, ethics and ex parte communication and all sorts of things like that. Uh, we do it jointly with the Chaddock Institute, and uh, it's, been, it's been very well received. So if you're at all interested uh, in doing that sort of thing, um, the plan commissioners have all found it very, very useful. Um, and if you don't do it that way, find another way to do it. Uh, we've gotten, not us, but the concept has gotten rave reviews from brand spanking new commissioners. We've had a couple who literally were there. at the, This was their first meeting, which was perfect. Um, and we've had people who've been on the commissions for 20 years who goes, yeah, you know, this is a pretty good reminder. So do training with your commissioners. Um, you know, they're active and interested community people. They're well-meaning, but they don't, they, don't have, they don't have the background that we do. Um, and again, along those lines, have there be some established rules for how the, how the groups meet uh, and, and, and what they do when they meet. Um, make sure that the plan commissioners attend. Um, not having a quorum can be kind of embarrassing when you've been getting ready for a big meeting. Uh, so keep track of, of who attends, and maybe there's some accountability if they don't. Uh, so train your commissions. Train your commissioners. Uh, that helps you, helps the community, helps, helps the development world. With that, uh, I would um, thank you for uh, listening to that part of the presentation and open it up for questions and discussion and love to hear what other people are doing and going through and maybe we can all kind of work some of it out together. So thank you very much. So just as a reminder, as we open this up to Q&A, just put your hands up and I'll come to you with the microphone. 
Uh, thank you very much, Michael. I, uh, one question I have is, uh, uh, do you have a, um, a process for working with, quote, outside uh, developers, somebody that may not be familiar? I can see where some of these things can work very well with, uh, with local developers and somebody you do business with on a regular basis, but what about outside developers? You know, a lot of communities, and they're all over the websites, a lot of communities have got these little either handbooks or flyers or on their website. is something that marches you through the process. Say, here's what you do. Here, here's what it's going to be. Um, I, I think those are great, and that's, that's been my, my suggestion for a lot of communities. For heaven's sakes, do not put every step in the process in a little box in the chart because you'll see some of these things where it's a page and there's, there's I swear, there's 300 little boxes on it and the arrows go back around and that sort of thing. Don't do that. Um, but something that just kind of lets people understand preliminary meeting, meeting with staff, final meeting, plan commission, and if you can put a time frame on it, all the better. Typical time frame, six months, eight months, whatever. Um, don't, don't be shy about scaring people away. Don't think you've got to sugarcoat it, but just the facts out there and let them know what to expect. Thanks. Um, sorry, I arrived a little late, but I wanted to kind of uh, elaborate on or amplify one point, which is uh, working with other departments in the city. Um, in uh, Displains, where I was the director, uh, we had a major white elephant property and uh, a lot of trouble finding somebody to move into it. Turned out that it was the head of the building department who actually made the connection for us with a developer who actually made the project work. And what then we started to do was. Uh, regularly check in with them. A lot of times for small businesses, for example, um, they may be the ones giving the bad news to the guy who wants to open up a pizza joint but can't because the building isn't sprinklered or some other problem. Um, if that, that they can let the economic development people know that there's somebody looking, they can then uh, make that connection. And then also they have a part in the process and become less... Uh, um, Con, you know, confrontational or uh, um, you know, less of a uh, um, obstructionist p component of the process. Uh, one more horrible cliche to throw out: this idea of silos that we're all siloed. Um, again, hate the cliche. It's a good point. You know, this takes place over a bunch of different departments. Um, if you're in a community development department, you may or may not have economic development in there. If you're in a community development department, who has economic development? in their department, who's got it in the manager's office or someplace else. Um, so, you know, you got to keep in touch with those people. They help make those connections. They help do those things. Um, it's also really valuable for my personal favorite, code enforcement. Um, you know, we used to work long and hard with the police department in terms of dealing with signs and signs for um, around election time in particular. But signs are just critical to economic development because... Uh, every business out there swears by the signs they get to put up, and uh, you know, in our community, uh, it was something we did jointly with the with the police department. Michael, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts from an economic develop development perspective about whether or not uh, coming up with streamlined processes for specific types of projects or. Um, special situations that uh, carry a special public benefit, if you think that that serves a productive economic development function or does the um, effort that it takes to come up with a streamlined process and then make sure that that streamlined process is actually executed in the way that you say it's going to be is more hassle than it's worth. And if you have any sort of broader thoughts that kind of work off of that theme, you know, in, in, the, in the kind of um, mid-sized suburban community or even smaller suburban communities that, that I think a lot of us work in, I've never been keen on a streamlined process. Um, you know, my take on it was, I don't know, our process is already pretty streamlined. You get us in the complete application and we'll get you turned around in four weeks. Um, but if you're thinking of streamlining, that's the perfect reason to do just what we're talking about here, is to look at the process and see what steps don't we need. You know, do we need all those plan commission reviews? Do we need the design review commission? So my, my question, and not, not um, facetiously, is what do you want to take out of the process? Uh, what do you want to make go faster? Um, how are you gonna, if something is going to be LEED certified or proposes to be LEED certified, is kind of a common one, um, you know, what would you, what would you take out of the process? The public hearing, you know, you, you, you can't do that. 
Um, what I have seen and what I, what I do support is that if there are objectives of the community, like let's say sustainability and LEED certification uh, is, uh, is an objective of the community, is there, there's other carrots that you can hold out. Maybe you get an extra floor on your building. Maybe you get uh, a little extra density if you implement some of these other community objectives. Um, but if your process is so broken that you need to streamline it to encourage people to participate in it, you probably need to streamline it anyway. Hi, this is very helpful. Um, I'm actually visiting from New York. I'm an elected official in a little tiny little village um, outside the city. And that's one of our issues is that we're so small. But um, so we set up a group now. The timing is really nice to look at our development review process. So two things, just to see if you have any um, insight on a very small community like us. We have a, a part-time planner that um, I actually set up uh, and hired, but it's one day a week. Um, but it's, one is just some sense of cost. That's one thing we're looking at is, uh, and I, I think the predictability is going to be more of an issue, but do you have any insight on we're charging $0.17, cents, $1,000 um, for review, doing, trying to look at the surrounding communities, and it's all over the board. I yeah. can't even come up with like an average, but it seems like it's too high and just want to know. But maybe it's not. Um, just want to know if our responsibility is to provide all the services, and I don't want to ding them for more if we're charging them $250,000 for a review. Um, and two, we are going to merge, I think, our architectural review board with our planning board. So that's going to be a lot of landmines. If you have any insights on how to approach that situation, in a, again, in a small community. In, in terms of dollars for, for small communities, um, the, the thing that I've always felt most comfortable with is, is pass-through, right? Is, is a, a realistic cost for what it's, what it's going to be because your, your part-time planner or your one-day-a-week planner is not going to do all of it. The person is probably going to spend a lot of time sending it to a consulting engineer, uh, sending it to a review agency, sending it to, to somebody else. Um, and what's, what's probably most efficient for that is either over time or through asking the, the consultant to do that, is say, what's it going to cost to do this level of review for this size project? And you know, these are always 500 bucks, or these are 27 cents per square, whatever they are. Um, it's not, it's something that would otherwise cost the village. It's very reasonable and predictable to look at somebody and go, you know what, this is an out-of-pocket cost to the community. We're just passing it on to you. Uh, so that, that's one way to, to, to look at it. Um, especially if there's, there's a lot that that's part of it. Um, and then what becomes your, your application fee um, is something you can get a little better handle on because you've taken out legal costs, engineering costs, those kinds of things. You're looking at what is it that you need to, to sustain what you're doing. Um, and then that's, that's a policy decision as to whether or not it's the all-in cost of the part-time planner or it's something that the community is able to, to subsidize. Um, in terms of merging the commissions, I, I think that design review and, um, and plan commission are, are a pretty good match. Um, I've always been a little resistant to the idea of merging plan commissions and ZBAs. I know there are lots of towns that do and have great success with it. Um, it's been kind of my take that it's a different part of your brain. Um, uh, but I think that the plan commissions and design review are, are the same part of your brain. Um, and it's great, too, because, and this is the reason that I'm, actually have heard that people like merging the planning and zoning, is you've got people with a broader perspective. You know, you don't have people that are just looking at the zoning or just looking at design review or just looking at, at the planning issues, but they've got uh, the bigger picture in mind. So in that regard, I, I, I think that that that's, would serve you well. Michael, I just wanted to reinforce your uh, point on no surprises, especially as it relates to uh, financial uh, considerations for the developer, impact fees, uh, recapture fees. I found in my experience um, that a developer that's told up front that this project's going to cost an additional $100,000, they're not going to bat an eye at that versus somebody who's told in the 11th hour, oh, we forgot to mention this additional $10,000 fee. And because the developers are working so hard to crunch the numbers up front to do the pro formas, they've, they've figured out what's going to be feasible and what's not feasible. And for us to kind of throw out things at the last minute throws that all off. So I've uh, emphasized with my staff, we've got to do our homework too up front to make sure we're getting them the right information. 
Highland Park's code had a requirement that for certain subdivisions you had to bury the utility lines adjacent to the site. Remember that one, Michael? Um, we forgot it in one or two developments and had to tell people about it afterwards. That's a very embarrassing phone call, but again, it's, it's the sort of surprise that, that shouldn't happen. Thanks. Great job. I was uh, an aspiring urban planner at one time, but it started to conflict with my libertarian views, so I went on to another uh, discipline. I grew up in Mount Prospect. I love that part about the hot water heater, hearing those stories from my parents. What's happened in the profession where the municipal government has their hand in everything? Sign colors, uh, some of this lead stuff, your example of uh, Starbucks versus Caribou. I mean, what for in the greater scheme, what does it matter? Why, why is every bit, I mean... You want to streamline, you want to reduce meetings, but then there's all these meetings with people who feel as if because they live within five miles, they have a right to say what goes on at a private developer or a private development. What's happened? It, it seems as if everyone's got their hand in a private transaction. Next question. Uh, you know what? It's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an excellent point. Um, you know, and I have been chastised for both sides of the coin. You know, I, I got a call once where there was a cupcake shop on one side of the street and another one opened on the other side of the street. And I would get calls and go, how did you let that happen? You cannot have those two cupcake shops. There is no way they can survive. And the answer was, we don't mess with the market. Just about everything else, but we don't mess with the market. I mean, that, that's something that we can't be involved in. And so you get it from both sides. I, I think the change, and I, I, didn't, I didn't come up with this myself, but um, somebody explained to me once that back in the day, um, when I started out as a planner, um, boards and commissions and elected officials uh, were, were more focused maybe on policy. And there's become more of a bent towards advocacy in communities. And there's, there's an interest in our communities of protecting everybody's interest. And everybody's got an interest in you know, whether it's Starbucks or whether it's Caribou or whether or not it's green or blue or what shade is the awning. Um, it's very much about people's property values, right? They come out and they're concerned about it. Uh, and to the extent that that border commission up there is looking to advocate for that person that's standing there, you get a little bit of a different take. I think, I think that's kind of the shift that, that we've seen. Um, let's have the same discussion in 10 years because there's a lot, of, lot more talk now about going the other way. You know, why are we reviewing all these things? Why are we holding up, uh, why are we holding up business and why are we holding up development? I, I've had elected officials come to me and say, why are you making this so hard for businesses to do this? And you can't say this, but you think this. You go, well, I'm enforcing the rules that you approve to put in the ordinance. Um, sometimes they're knee-jerk. You know, somebody put up too big a sign and everybody hates the sign, or somebody built a building that's ugly or perceived as too tall, and there's this knee-jerk reaction to it, and we change the code. And all of our zoning codes have got it. They've got all these things that are in there, and you don't know what the heck it's doing there. Well, it's from 17 years ago when the guy over here built it this way, and we said, we're never going to let that happen again. Um, you know, my rule of thumb is to never change the code over something happening once. It happens the second time, okay, but let's not react that way. So that's a long way of saying I think there's been a shift in the way people want, in what people want from their government. I think there's as much protect my value and protect my sense of community as there is stay out of what I do. We'll see if it shifts. I, I think it is. Uh, thanks again, Michael. A follow-up question um, to uh, dealing with a process that involves um, other agencies or other uh, sources of development. And by this I'm talking about uh, uh, housing, anything either state or federally supported development that comes into the community that brings a, an additional set of uh, reviews that might come in. You mentioned uh, historic preservation as one. On federal funds, of course, there, there has to be that, environmental assessments, so on and so forth. Is this something that you would add uh, to the process on a regular basis? Does your process handle it as it is? Uh, if it doesn't, what would you recommend? 
Um, I, you know, I think where we, we see this the most is with uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, for instance, when you're dealing with floodplains or wetlands and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I would take all of those that are relevant and factor them in to the whole thing. I mean, it's just another step in the process. You know, I, I don't think we need to fear either having to go through the step in the process or looking a potential developer in the eye and saying, you have to do this. You know, <laughs> I've looked at people and said, you know what, if I could let you out of this, I would. If this was, you know, if this was up to, but there, there are code requirements. And to explain the reason. I mean, it's easy enough to explain why wetlands are important to somebody. This is why the core is involved. Um, so I would, I would, you certainly have to factor them in, I think is the short answer. Thanks for all the information, Michael. Um, one of the challenges that I have heard from other planners, certainly not in my experience in my community, um, is how to balance an effective development review, meaning all of the uh, public bodies are afforded ample time to review and thoroughly vet all the information and make informed uh, decisions, and how does that balance with some of the economic development aspects the um, uh, predictability, keeping costs down, time is money, um, when those same entities are saying we need to be more business friendly. So I guess my question is, um, for my friends, not for me Absolutely. certainly, Understood. Um, is how do I control, I mean, how do my friends control the plan commission or village board in the event that they're taking six, seven meetings to decide something that may well have been decided in a more efficient manner over two or three meetings. Because, again, additional documents are being submitted. That's more cost to the developer. We're not being business friendly. Time is a factor. Um, what do you see staff's role in interceding or trying to drive forward a recommendation or a final decision? Um, you know, I'm reminded of the old joke, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Um, something that, that we've done in the past is to take the meetings, and, for the, especially for the bigger issues and the controversial ones, and break them out and say, tonight we're going to discuss the landscape plan, the site plan, and the signage. And then next meeting we're going to discuss transportation. You know, and so is to know in advance what the process is going to be. And to make clear to the plan commission, you know, some of this goes to training, um, some of this goes to, as the planner, being the traffic cop uh, and making sure that people do their homework and are prepared to do the homework and that, that the applicant gets their stuff in on time. You know, so some of this is, is a traffic management issue as much as anything else. Um, but you know, groups are, what, happen, what happens with a hard decision? What, is your plan what do your friends' plan commissions look at you and say when they can't, look at their friends and say when they can't make a decision, what do they need? I need, everybody together, we need more information. Well, they don't need more information, right? It's a hard decision. And so the fallback position is to look for more information. And they may, and it may help, and whatnot. So part of what we end up doing is, one, anticipating all those things. You know, when you've been in a community for a while, you kind of understand what's going to come up, and you let the applicant know, you know what, it doesn't say in the code that you have to prepare a fiscal impact study, but I promise you it's going to come up. Prepare a fiscal impact study. And... You know, if they don't want to, they don't have to. Shame on them when the Planning Commission directs that it has to happen, that sort of thing. So I, I think it's about creating structure to the process, letting everybody know what that structure is going to be, and, and getting down as far as today's landscaping, signs, and whatever else. Next week. Um, and so then, again, you create a, a level of predictability and a, a set of expectations. A great thing to sit down with, say, your plan Commission chair and work out um, if you've got a great plan commission chair who bangs the gavel and goes, we've talked about this long enough, let's move on, let's call the vote, um, that's another very valuable aspect of doing this, and a chair of any commission. I, you know, and I've always loved, relied on the experience that you've had before. You know, it's, we've, we've, <laughs> we've all looked at people and said, oh, this is a no-brainer, and been really sorry we said that. Um, we've all spent six or eight months working with a developer to get a project to where it was worthy of coming to the plan commission, and you, you feel pretty good about it because, you know, you can't... And the plan commission just hates it, you know. And, and that's a tough one for your friends, again, not for you, I'm sure, but that's a tough one because, you know, you've become a little bit vested in what's going on here. As the planner, you've got to step back and go, all right, let me find my center here, step to the microphone and explain, you know, why these things are there. So 
um, you got to create the structure as best you can and, and hope it holds up. Well, if there are no further questions, let's have another round of applause for Michael Blue. Thank you. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Michael Blue for a thought-provoking and informative program on development review. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.